Hey, it's Kathy. I have something so fun to tell you about. You may know that the doors are open to my new program, The Abundance Method, but if you enroll by May 15th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, you're going to get my signature business program also made to do this. That's a $3,000 program that you are going to get for free, included if you sign up by May 15th, just before midnight Pacific time. Made to do this is a phenomenal program that has helped thousands of souls to start businesses, to be able to make a living doing something that they love. This is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at kathyheller.com slash join. We decide what we want to do every single day. We determine what our priorities are every single day. Wow. And if we don't do what we think we want to do, then I would contend that we don't really want to do it all that much. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show. Don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller, and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love, and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real-life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to Slack for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Slack is a message gap which brings all your team's communication together, giving everyone a shared workspace where conversations are organized and accessible. Go to slack.com to learn more. Thanks to FreshBooks for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash dreamjob and then enter Don't Keep Your Day Job in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com slash dreamjob and then just enter Don't Keep Your Day Job. Those are all separate words. Don't Keep Your Day Job in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. How you doing? Um, Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I am on location. I'm in New York City. I've been here for about a week. It's been really awesome. Um, I feel really awake when I'm here. I feel like parts of me that are asleep somehow wake up when I'm here and uh, for lots of reasons. I think creatively I feel really inspired and also just being out, you know, not having that time in my car away from people or, you know, sitting and thinking, you know, sometimes we're just, we've got a lot of time and we're not necessarily connecting and we're not out there moment by moment. I just noticed being in New York, I'm like not on my phone nearly as much. I'm like barely checking my phone. I'm just living really, really engaged in life. And I've done a couple of really cool things. I want to give you like a little highlight reel. Um, one thing that was just so incredibly touching is I spoke in Brooklyn last Tuesday night and so many of our listeners came and I was so happy to meet so many of you. And, uh, there are people who came from so far away. Somebody came from Arkansas. Somebody came from Indiana. Somebody came from Maryland, Pennsylvania, um, Connecticut, all over. It was really, really touching. I feel so honored that you allow me to play this role in your life. I hope that I'm reminding you that you are so important and significant. And I hope that I'm reminding you to go for it, that there's nothing inherently different about me or anybody else we've had on the show or anybody else who's successful. I think it's just a matter of being willing to be uncomfortable, being willing to fail and put in the time and make your happiness a priority to raise the stakes and decide that you deserve it and you don't want to live more years without being, you know, really called to do something that gives you a sense of purpose and getting to do it. And I think that everyone deserves to do it. And I think that is the way to make the world a better place. Uh, One of the girls who came to see me speak last week, she 
She made such an impact on me. She told me that when she first listened to the show, she was working in a Dunkin' Donuts like 14 hours a day. And she was feeling just so down about life. And uh, she started to listen to the podcast and it gave her the courage to start reaching out for jobs that she really wanted. And she got a job working at a wine magazine and now she's in New York City. And I'm so proud of her. I'm, I'm so proud of all of you who are, you know, even if you're just listening. I mean, so many people wouldn't even be able to listen to this show because it'd be so threatening because it challenges you to ask those really big questions like, am I really happy? And those are scary questions to ask because oftentimes, you know, we can lie to everybody else. We can pretend on Facebook that things are great, but a lot of people are walking around with a great deal of anxiety and it's just because we're not attending to what we know we need to do that makes us happy. On that same note, I got to see Dear Evan Hansen since I've been in New York and it was amazing. It's a stunning show. And that show, it really is everybody's story. You know, it's about a kid who is in high school and he has a lot of anxiety. His dad left when he was seven and his mom works a lot and he's he's alone a lot. And she's always asking him, like, are you okay? Did you see your therapist this week? Do you need another session? Did you take your medication? How are you doing? And she's so worried about him. And she um, through a series of, of really interesting events, he winds up making friends with the family of a kid who committed suicide. And, you know, I think he needs them and they need him. And I won't ruin the rest of the show for you because I don't want to spoil the plot. But I think that um, it's just really interesting because I saw myself in him. He starts to connect with other people. He starts to really find something that makes him feel purposeful. And he brings the whole school together in, in a bunch of things that he starts to do. And he reminds everybody that they're not alone and that people don't just disappear and, you know, every person matters and people don't really feel seen. People don't really feel taken in and accepted and valued. And through a course of all of these things that happens, through the course of bonding with this family and through the course of doing things in school that brings all the kids together, and he does that just by telling, you know, his own story. He realizes like he doesn't need the medication. He just needs to feel purpose. And he needs to connect. And I think that that is all of us. We all need a sense of purpose. We need to wake up every day and do something that feels significant. And we want to feel seen like somebody knows I'm here and I'm making an impact. And when we had Gretchen Rubin on the show a few months ago, I asked her, do you think people need to choose something that's practical or do they need to go for what they love but maybe not make any money doing it? And she answered the way that I... I, I kind of think she said, I don't I think that's a false choice. I think there's something in the middle. I don't think it's either you're doing what you love and you're you're poor or you take a practical choice and do something you don't love, but make a living. She said, I think there's a way to do something you love and make a living. And that is what I posit. There are these things that you know you love to do and maybe you're already doing it a little bit or maybe you're not doing it that often or maybe you haven't done it since the seventh grade. But that's your compass, right? You have to trust your gut. So 
Thanks to Slack for supporting this podcast. Slack is a messaging app which brings all your team's communication together, giving everyone a shared workspace where conversations are organized and accessible. I use this every single day with my team, and it is so helpful. Slack connects the tools and services you need in one place. You can organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives all in one easy-to-use app. No more searching through emails for that one follow-up or searching through multiple systems to find what you're looking for. It's easy and convenient. You can drag and drop file sharing that works with all kinds of apps you already use like Google Drive and Zendesk and Salesforce. Slack works everywhere you go with mobile apps like for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly. You can pick up where you left off no matter where you are. Plus, you can tailor Slack to work with more than a thousand other apps. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. That's slack.com. Thanks to FreshBooks for supporting this podcast. The nature of work is changing again. The internet has enabled more people to become self-employed professionals and small business owners, more connected, more autonomous, and working in new jobs that could not have been imagined just a few years ago. Only five to ten years ago, working for yourself was considered taboo, but that's no longer true. Today, one in three Americans is self-employed. And by 2020, this group of self-employed Americans is going to grow to over 40% of the U.S. workforce. The world was not built for the self-employed. Many institutions that currently support the workforce are simply not keeping up with the pace of change needed to serve them. FreshBooks is among the innovators who have stepped up to provide a new solution for freelancers and small business owners in this rapidly changing market. So I love FreshBooks because when I first started writing music, I was really gung-ho on the writing music part, and I totally forgot that once I actually got a song into a TV show or once someone actually wanted to pay me for my music, I would have to not only keep track of all the billing and what what I received and what I didn't, but I would have to make invoices. So FreshBooks makes all of that super easy. It only takes about 30 seconds. There's no formatting. There's no formulas. Just really simple, clean, and professional-looking invoices. And now FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. And to claim it, you just go to freshbooks.com slash dreamjob and then enter don't keep your day job in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash dreamjob and then enter don't keep your day job in the how did you hear about us section. Today on the show, I'm really excited. We have Debbie Millman here. Debbie has an awesome podcast. It's called Design Matters. It's actually one of the biggest podcasts that there that there possibly could be. She has a huge audience. She's interviewed some of the most interesting people. And what's really cool about this, on top of the fact that her podcast is very relevant to, I think, what we're talking about all the time. She's interviewing artists, but she's also talking about everything that we talk about when, when it comes to purpose and what does art really do to, to create change in the world. And I think you'd really find it interesting. But on top of all of that... Debbie started this later in her life. She didn't she didn't stumble upon her podcast, which wound up becoming one of the biggest things that she's done, even though she had a big career before this, she worked um, in branding and she was working, you know, doing her her design, but she really wasn't feeling that sense of purpose. And she started her podcast as a side hustle later in life. And I think it's a really inspiring thing in and of itself, because there's often many times where I'm talking to people who are in their late 30s or they're in their 40s and they really can't conceive of the fact that maybe the thing that they're really here to do hasn't even happened yet. And what's really cool is that she made something from nothing. She started her podcast before podcasting was even a thing, before she had the sound quality dialed in, before she had any idea that she'd eventually, you know, become a household name. She'd start writing books. Uh, She teaches at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. She records her podcast there. And um, I think that you're going to find everything she says really inspiring because she she talks to so many cool people on her show, like Seth Godin, Malcolm Gladwell, and all kinds of artists. So she has a great perspective herself as an artist, but also having spoken to so many incredible people. And and I just think it's so incredible that she started this later in life. And uh, she started it 
with the need to have a side hustle that gave her a sense of purpose. And this is something that we talk about week after week. And lo and behold, that side hustle that was giving her a sense of purpose that she continued to consistently show up and do has grown to be something that is, um, it's, it's huge. It's powerful. There's tons and tons and tons and tons of people who've heard Debbie's show. It's, it's one of the biggest and it's stayed on top of the iTunes charts for many, many years. And I'm so happy she's here. So let's dive in. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Kathy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're such a rock star in every way. And uh, if my listeners don't know you, most of them probably do. But if they don't, you guys are in for a treat. So I want you to take us back to when you were a kid. Where does this start? Where does your love for you know art and design and creating things begin? Well, I think that I've always been a creative person. I was raised by a mom who was both an artist and a seamstress. And so I can't remember a time in my life where I wasn't making things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was very much fostered in my childhood. I not only was somebody that did a lot of drawing and painting and Um, all sorts of creative endeavors that one would expect from a a kid, you know, coloring books and whatnot. But I also like to make my own clothes as I was becoming a teenager and made uh, my own perfume (laughs) when I was really little and made a magazine with my best friend who was also named Debbie when I was growing up. And we called it debutante, which I still think is a really good name for yeah. a magazine. Yeah. And just was was always trying to create something new. I used to, I actually used to make, I used to put on shows with my siblings. Yeah. <laughs> and I would give them all parts and make set decorations. And Aww. so I'd put on these shows as well. So it was very, very creative upbringing. But I also think that in many ways, creativity saved my life. What do you mean by that? Well, my not only was I fostered to be really creative, but um, I was also in a household that was very sadly very violent and very um, repressive in a lot of ways, in a lot of other ways, and um, went through quite a lot just to sort of make my way in the world in that kind of an upbringing. Um, and having that creative resource or that creative output or expression, yeah. I think, really, really did save me. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And it's so brave of you to share that. And it's very courageous. And it's amazing how, like, when you're the person sharing it, it feels like I'm naked right here now, like, telling you guys that. But the listener, like, immediately is so... Um, I guess drawn in. It's so endearing. Um, it's so well, real. You know, it's interesting. I don't. I don't consider it to be brave or courageous now. I think that we are socialized to experience so much shame around being treated badly, as if it's somehow yeah. our fault. Yeah. That when you are in a state of shame about it, it does feel brave or it feels courageous. But I think once you come to understand, and this has only happened to me much, much later in life, I mean, I'm well into middle age, that I don't feel 
as much shame about it anymore that it doesn't really feel brave or courageous. It just is what it is. And if there's any way that my talking about it can help others, it just feels necessary more than brave or, or courageous. Yeah, I just posted something on Facebook about how everyone's just constantly trying to just appear like everything's perfect and we know that's not true you know we know that everybody's fine on facebook is right my my my, say that slogans (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i can totally relate to art being um a place of salvation a place where you can go to express yourself and feel whole and that's beautiful I, i definitely had that in my own life so at what point was it in high school was it in college was there ever a time where you thought like one day i'm gonna figure out how to make a living with my art. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Um, no, I, it wasn't certainly not in high school. It okay. wasn't even in college and it wasn't even after college, really. It wasn't. What was what were those years like? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I call my 20s a decade of uh, experiments in rejection and failure. Oh, and, lovely. And it was really just um, a, a desperate attempt to try to make my way into the world as a self-sufficient adult. Most of what I was trying to do at that time was just survive. I, I left my my childhood home when I went to college and only went back for spring and summer and winter breaks. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated, I immediately moved to New York City mm-hmm. and found the best job I could possibly find to pay me anything doing something creative and that was working as a old school paste up and layout artist uh, at a cable magazine making six dollars an hour and and I remember the moment was literally the summer of 1983 the summer of what I call the um, of of the police's synchronicity and um, David Bowie's modern love and Mm -hmm. I was coming home from a club late one night and was standing on the corner of 6th Avenue and Bleecker Street, and it suddenly occurred to me that I had to make a decision about how the rest of my life was going to unfold, and was I going to be an artist, or was I going to be a creative person that was doing it on the side? (laughs) And I decided to try to become a designer because I was so desperate to be self-sufficient and to take care of myself, but was also desperately terrified that I wasn't going to be able to be an artist I, and, and take care of myself. There was just no mm-hmm. way that I could imagine with the, the state of my self-esteem at the time and with the expensive requirements living in New York City, there was just no way I could rectify how to do both. And because I'd so, so wanted to be in Manhattan, and I also wanted to be creative, it seemed like becoming a designer was a way to do both. But I knew at that moment that it was a compromise. I knew that that August night in 1983 that I was compromising. And then spent several decades trying to get back to having really at the heart of my life a creative spirit. Yeah, that's beautiful. I I think that that's so reassuring to people listening because what you just laid out is probably very familiar to a lot of people. And in order to help somebody out of a well, you have to have been down there. And mm-hmm. 
you've been down there. So what happens next? Well, I I spent the first, as I said, the first 10 years in, in experiments with rejection and failure and applied to various graduate programs and didn't get in, continued working as a designer. Um, and then in the early 90s, uh, quite by accident, uh, ended up getting a job in branding. And because in addition to my mom being a seamstress, my father was a pharmacist, and I spent quite a lot of time in his pharmacy, both mm. uh, fantasizing around brands that I thought would make me prettier and also working the cash register. I knew a lot about some of the nascent reasons people buy brands and people pick the things that they want in their lives and suddenly found that I had a talent for branding that was almost as if it were something I were born with. Wow. And and became quite successful doing that through my 30s and 40s. But I would say about 12, about 10 years into that experience, I was both proud of, of my financial success and my business success. But at that point, those 10 years that I spent really immersed in this new world in an effort to both become better at it and also to learn about it, I all but gave up every other creative outlet that I'd been pursuing. So I was no longer writing. I was no longer painting. I was no longer drawing. I was no longer sewing. I was no longer doing any of the creative um, endeavors that I had previously been doing almost any moment that I wasn't actually working. And so by 2003 and 2004, I started to get really, really depressed about the fact that everything I was doing had some sort of commercial expression. And then at the end of 2004, I was approached by Voice America, which was an online, a fledgling online, online radio network, and they were interested in my hosting an an online radio talk show. And while they were interested in my doing that, they weren't interested in paying me to do it. I actually had to pay them for the airtime and the production time. Oh, my gosh. But I thought it was an interesting opportunity to do something creative. Yeah. And so I jumped at the chance, and I had some money saved up and started to pay for them to do the production services on what became my podcast. So there when really did no that podcast start? back then. My show started in February of 2005, wow. and it was a live radio show online. And a lot of my friends oh. weren't able to listen to it when it was live on the air and asked how they could listen to it. And so I thought, oh, maybe I should just upload these things on iTunes, and then I can point people to a link, and then wow. they could have uh, access to listening to the show. And that's how the show began its run on iTunes. So you started in 2005? I didn't even realize there was a podcast app in 2005. There wasn't. There wasn't. There wasn't at all. So when did you start uploading it to iTunes? Well, I it, I uploaded it to iTunes in 2005, but there wasn't a podcast section. So it was just, it was in, just like, the music buried somewhere, somewhere in, in the audio. Okay. Yes. And then yes. when when did the podcast app officially? Like when did it become oh, an official? Oh, oh, I believe it was like the next year or the year after okay. that. Okay. I mean, yeah. the phone came out in two thousand and seven, so I'm gonna guess right, right yeah, around yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing that you were like 
first to market with this and that you were just sort of pioneering in this whole new space. You didn't even know it was coming around the corner. It's so cool. Um, for people who don't know, I, I know because I read your bio and I've listened to your show, but just to get some background for people who don't know, you know, you mentioned all those years that you were working and uh, you alluded to it. What, what were you doing? You were working on some of the the biggest brands in the world. Yeah, I I was the president of a design consultancy named Sterling Brands, which is still in existence today. I left last year Mm -hmm. after 22 years. Wow. And I worked on the designs of Burger King and Twizzlers and the Hershey Bar and 7-Up and Orville Redenbacher and Tropicana and the list goes on and on. What was your role there? Like, what do you really I think? I ran the company. We- I ran the company, uh, the design division. There were three divisions. Austin McGee ran the strategy division. Dee Dee Gordon ran the innovation division. And I ran the design division. So you would get and, a project, and then what would you what Well, would no, we team- wouldn't just get a project. I was also the chief rainmaker. I'd have to go I find see. the projects to get. Got it. <laughs> and so I did that. And... I ran the business and made a lot of hiring decisions and did the positioning and promotion and basically every single aspect of the business. And, and how then, is it different from an ad agency? Well, branding is is different from advertising. And so we weren't doing any advertising. So we what were doing... It, yeah, what does it mean? Like you're coming up with logos, you're coming up with... We're coming up with the strategic positioning for any product, any movement, any brand, and then developing that positioning and the visual expression via the identity or other visual expressions in the marketplace. But it is not about advertising. Advertising advertising is actually literally advertising a product that already has a positioning yeah, and an identity. That's right. right. They already have a voice and now the ad agency is trying to just help them to showcase that voice. Were there any iconic things that you guys helped to create for these brands that we all know? Well, the straw and orange for Tropicana. Yes. And that's, that's one of the cute. biggest, the identity for Burger King, which is global and it's in every country in the world. What does that mean, the um, identity? The logo, the Burger oh, King logo. Oh, the logo. Wow. The actual logo and all the packaging. Um, we also did the identity, the logo, and all of the positioning for the No More Movement, which wow. we did in partnership with the Joyful Heart Foundation, which is the foundation that Mariska Hargitay started after starring in Law and Order SVU and being contacted by so many women that had wow. been oh my gosh. Um, the victims of uh, sexual assault, domestic violence, and child abuse. Wow. And so I not only helped create the mark for the No More movement, but I'm now uh, on the board of the Joyful Heart Foundation wow. after repositioning and redesigning their identity. Yeah. So you did a lot of good there, clearly. And I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. When you were, you know, growing in your career and, and climbing that ladder, so to speak, what do you think it is about the way you look at things, like how, how your perspective, what would that offer that other people weren't seeing? Why do you think that you rose to the top? Well, I'm very dogged. I'm very persistent. It's very, very hard for me to take no for an answer. I take success and failure very personally. So there's a lot of me in the effort. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of the actual success, I think that given my, my early childhood experiences, I always had to be hyper aware of what was going on 
in order to stay safe, in order to be able to be aware enough of what was going on to be able to anticipate what might happen next. And I think that skill has uh, stayed with me. And so I'm, I'm, I tend to be very hyper aware of situations, hyper aware wow. of moods and sensitivities. It's very easy for me to read a room. It's very easy for me to become an empath with somebody one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also highly skilled at pattern recognition. And so I'm able to see, because of various experiences in my life and my age, I'm, I'm very easily able to predict what might happen next based That's on existing... So- Incredible. Wow. And, what and a being able to recognize those patterns. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I've, I've never heard it before. And only recently a therapist said to me, you're really good at problem solving because of the home you grew up in. You're like, you're like obsessed with problem solving and you really are. And I was like, really? I never thought of it similar to what you just said. I never put that together or recognized it, but these are some things that come as, as a result of, of those things. Um, so you were saying that you, you know, came to a place where you weren't feeling fulfilled and you started your show. And what's that journey been like for you? Oh, it's been incredibly exciting. I, I, <laughs> I grew up as a podcaster in public. Um, I started the show in 2005 with absolutely no, I talk about being unable to predict, having absolutely no way of knowing that the show would grow the way it has. I had no way of knowing that podcasting would become the the phenomenon it is. People think that I was ahead of the curve. I didn't even know there was a curve. (laughs) Um, And so I started the show doing I did the show with two telephone handsets sitting face to face with my guests in my office in the Empire State Building. And it was really exciting to be able to say broadcasting live from the Empire yeah, State Building because indeed a, we were. Very cool. <laughs> That's where Sterling's offices were located at that time. That is cool. And then I did 100 episodes on Voice America. And then I was invited to move the show to Design Observer, which had come out several years before as I think the second or third uh, design blog in the world, and mm-hmm. they had a huge re- uh, readership. And Bill Drentel, the one of the co-founders, invited me to bring the show over with the proviso that I improve the sound quality because the <laughs> first hundred episodes, the sound quality is just so bad. People like the content, but the qual the sound quality really inhibited easy listening. Right, and so he. Uh, suggested that I work with a producer that he referred me to, Curtis Fox, and that we started a relationship um, working on the podcast together in 2009 and have been doing it ever since. So I've done another, I guess, 200 plus episodes with Curtis. um, And the show has just grown year after year. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's evolved from a show about designers talking about design, very sort of inside baseball style, to a show about how creative people of any type of creativity, a designer, an artist, a writer, a musician, an actor, a filmmaker, a director, how how these creative people design their lives, how they become who they are, what is the trajectory that their life takes, what is the arc of a life. That is endlessly fascinating to me. Yes. And that's really the, the centerpiece of the show now. How does yes. a person become who they are? Yeah, that is... That is the question. Um, and that's why I thought you were such a perfect guest for our show. So I, I want to dig into this a little bit. And I'm curious now that you've done 300 or so episodes, what are some of the consistencies that you see? What are some of the things that you hear 
uh, from your guests that you feel like, okay, well, these are some of the things I would say help a person to get there? Well, one of the things that has really surprised me, but has also inspired me, is the notion that most people really do experience a lot of insecurity. Mm. The the only people that I've interviewed that don't seem to have any trace of insecurity <laughs> left are are people in their eighties. Yeah. <laughs> and I I think at that point, you know, you are who you are. The only two people that I, I've interviewed that were that age were um, Milton Glaser and the late great Massimo Vignelli. Mm. And both of them were more or less satisfied with mm. who they've become and mm-hmm. were almost in a mindset of take it or leave it. And and everyone else is still striving to become who they are and accept who they are yes. or really be able to deconstruct themselves in a way to be able to reconstruct themselves to be able to be better or stronger or smarter. Yeah. Um, and, and that most people really do experience tremendous self-doubt yeah and that in many ways fuels quite a lot of of what they're doing yeah that that's very true for the people who you've had on who aren't those two that you just mentioned what what stands out as some of the things that people have told you about how they've overcome that how they've continued to keep going and persevere with the self-doubt with the lack of resources at the time I think that the common denominator is they want it more than their suffering. And so because they want something and long for something, that need is bigger than their succumbing right. to whatever fears or foibles mm-hmm. are are plaguing them. Yeah. And and so that that desire becomes something that they have no choice in pursuing. In your opinion, and this is totally you're free. It's a, it's a subjective opinion. What do you think makes beautiful art? Well, I don't know if I really would say that beautiful is something that I consider to be important to making art. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to resonate. I think it needs to powerfully communicate. I'm not really all that interested in in beautiful per se, and I don't think you actually mean pretty. Yeah. I guess what makes something powerful is is more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is that it connects with the viewer and transcends their way of thinking in some way. It allows them to grow or challenges their mindset or they experience some sense of being bigger than who they are in the world and connecting themselves to the world in in a bigger way in a bigger way. I love conceptual art, art that's rooted in an idea first. Mm -hmm. And, and I also love art that has some text in it that has some visual component Mm -hmm. that allows you to read into it. And, and that's work that I find to be really compelling. Yep. I feel like people say to me, you know, I've been trying and it hasn't happened. So do I just give up and sit at a desk or, or am I supposed to keep going? At what point do you know you're supposed to give up? It's not working. I don't believe in giving up. 
Yes. Um, and that's and that's a that's not always a good thing. I mean, right. I've no, no. often stayed in jobs or relationships longer than I should have Fair. because I don't Fair like enough. the idea of something not working. I want it desperately to work right. out. Um, but when it comes to one's work, gener- you know, self-generated work or hopes and dreams and longings for a life. Yes. I mean, I think that anything worthwhile takes a long time. If I had given up in my 20s, then I wouldn't be where I am today. If I'd given up when I was in my 30s, I wouldn't be where I am today. If I'd given up when I was in my 40s. That's right. So, you know, I didn't really start to get any traction with my career as a creative person. Certainly, I got it in my 30s as a branding consultant, but as somebody that was self-generating work, that was making work that had meaning, personal meaning, I didn't start getting any traction with that until 2003. I was well into my 40s at that point. Do you have any idea so, that that will ring around the world, what you just said? That is yeah. so inspiring. I'm, I'm sure you've told that story before. I'm sure people know that. But for people who don't or people who do, that is yeah, just such was, an inspiring I mean, it's, statement. It's certainly worth hearing again. If, if you're not being asked to make work that you feel is going to make a difference, yeah. then you have to self-generate that work. Mm-hmm. All of the, the acclaim that I have gotten from my art, so to speak, right. has all been self-generated. That's amazing. I, I didn't have the ability or the wherewithal or the opportunity to wait for somebody's permission right, to do it right. or their invitation to right. do it. Yep. I had to do it on my own. Huge. That's a big, big insight. The other thing that comes up all the time is people are saying, you know, well, how do I know, you know, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm persistent and I'm working on this script or I'm working on, you know, creating this, this, this jewelry piece, whatever it is. I continue to be persistent. I continue to go at it. But how do I know if it's not really great yet? You know, I know myself, I started out as a songwriter. I still am a songwriter. And there were years where I would be sending in songs and I was working really hard and people would respond back and say, it's just not there. And I had to have the humility to be like, okay, right. So I'll keep going back until finally people would respond and say, yes, this works. We're going to use this in this ad. We're going to use this in this movie. We're going to, you know, but... Um, it took me a while to start to be able to A, B what I was doing against what actually is great and not just keep falling short. And that is a hard thing to assess. It could be in your blind spot. So I'm curious what you think, you know, can help people to, to achieve that when you want to make things that are great. Well, I think you have to evaluate what great means. Does it mean well-known Does it mean famous? Does it mean appreciated and accepted? Or does it mean that it's something that you're proud of? Mm -hmm. And I think people conflate the, the relationship between those two things. And I think we get confused about what we're really aspiring or what we're striving for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, because I'm so curious about how people create the arc of their life, I'm often asking young people what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. And I've come to expect the answer famous. Wow. Because I hear it so often. Mm. And I think that what we are doing is because there are are so many young people known sort of for just being known that people begin to confuse being famous for being great. Yes, that's right. And 
I think that there's a big difference between yep. being great at something and being famous for something. Mm-hmm. And and so I think motivation is really important. I think intent is really important. Mm-hmm. And being able to do it is the most important thing. And then becoming known for it or respected for it comes later. I think it takes about 10 years to really get good at something. Wow. And I don't think you really want to be known for something as soon as you want to be doing yes, it or as soon as I you agree. get the opportunity to be doing it because you haven't found your voice in it yet. Yes. yes. I'm 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 so lucky that I didn't become well known for doing design matters in the first four years right. that I was doing it because the <laughs> the, the quality the sound was wasn't there yet. heinous. Yeah. And and it's embarrassing. Um, it took me 10 years to really figure out what I was doing on my podcast. And yes, I loved interviewing people. And yes, I got better at it as the years went by. But it really wasn't until about two or three years ago, and I'm going into year 13, oh my that I realized gosh. that what I was trying to do was understand how a person becomes a person. And that takes, I think it just took time to figure it right, all out. Right. And so when you're pursuing something, Revel in the process of learning how to do it and becoming good at it. And then when you're good at it or when you feel like you're really understanding the ropes, then maybe if you really want to, then go out and promote the fact that you're doing it. Oh, that's so good. I love hearing you say that. It's just, it's so true. People want like this immediate thing. And and the truth is, I feel the same way. If you were to listen to my music from 12 years ago, I, would, I wouldn't I would even play it for you. I'd be upset if you told me someone played it for you. You know, it just got better. Things just take time. And I right. hope my best work hasn't even happened yet, right? I mean, Yeah, I mean, I think that not only, you know, does anything worthwhile takes a long time, but I also think that the longer it takes, more likely the longer it will last because you have a sense of what it is you're doing. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about having any type of a claim later in life is that you have that much more runway than before you peak. Yeah. Yeah. So another question that goes hand in hand with that, that comes up from our listeners a lot is, well, that's so easy for you to say and great and good for you because you're so, you know, successful. But what about, you know, for somebody who's sitting there thinking, but what about me? I have a day job and I don't have time to give something 10 years. And, and, you know, if it doesn't work now, then it's never going to work. And how would I ever carve out that time? Well, I don't think that having enough time is an excuse. First of all, I had a day job and still have a job yes. at the School of Visual Arts. Oh my goodness. And I don't expect to, to make my living doing design matters. So I think busy is a decision. You decide what you want to do. You make your priorities every single day. And even with my students, when they're like, oh, I didn't have time to work on that assignment. I'm like, really? Did you have time to watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. And busy is a decision. We decide what we want to do every single day. We determine what our priorities are every single day. Wow. And if we don't do what we think we want to do, then I would contend that we don't really want to do it all that much. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for saying what you just said. That is so empowering. It robs you of any excuse and frees you to just go live your life. That is very, very powerful and and it's very good, tough love. Love that. Right. Um, I'm curious because you've had so many awesome people on your show. Is there somebody who stands out 
something that you felt was just great, great wisdom, something really interesting, whether it was Malcolm Gladwell or Seth Godin. You've interviewed so many interesting people. Well, Seth, you know, Seth, everything that comes out of Seth Godin's mouth is gold. It is. <laughs> I've never met anybody that has such clarity and is able to articulate his view of the world with such an open heart. Mm. And I think that my episode with Seth earlier this year is is definitely one of my best. I think my interview last year with Simon Sinek is a, mm-hmm. is a good one for people to listen to if mm-hmm. they're thinking about their career and, again, deliberate intention. Um, from a creative point of view, I love my interview with Chris Ware. It's one of my favorites. Uh, that was several years ago when he came out with Building Stories. Um, so there's a few to get well, started. What, was there a highlight, something that stuck with you that Seth said to you on the show? Um, I don't know if we talked about this in the show. We talked about this. No, we actually might have um, because I, I was at an event where he said that um, government doesn't make culture. Culture makes government. It's oh, good. And I think that is brilliant mm-hmm. and true. And we need to remember that. What do you think he means by that? That we make the world that we want. Yeah. And that is something that I think we need to take much more seriously. Yeah, I I very much agree with that, which uh, I don't hear people say all the time, but I posted, you know, every day is an opportunity to think about how can you be, you know, the greatest resource to the person standing in front of you? What can you give? A hug, a smile, a dollar, how can you be take responsibility for your own happiness, even your own well-being, so that inside your home, inside your office, that you're creating the world? Like we, we, it's so easy to to point the finger, which is why I think truly shows like yours, and I hope that shows like this one that I'm doing. I think it really is so important because to make sure that you are living a life that you find fulfilling, that is the work. That's how you change the world. Like you need to be the happiest, most, you know, whole version of you. Well, you know, speaking of Seth Godin and happiness, he wrote a piece on his blog a few days ago about the difference between happiness and pleasure. And most people confuse happiness for pleasure. Mm, and that's interesting. When when you're experiencing pleasure, you just want more of that. So, you know, more shoes or more iPhones mm-hmm. or more um, Instagram likes. When you're experiencing happiness, you're content with what is, mm-hmm. True. and and you're not seeking yeah. more. Yeah, that's. Um, and I think that that's a very very important distinction. Yeah, it's true. And he 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 had gotten the inspiration um, about that notion of the difference between happiness and pleasure from a book that came out recently called The Hacking of the American Mind by Robert Lustig. Mm-hmm. Lustig. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a really important thing right now because I think we confuse our our search for happiness with our search for pleasure. Yeah, so true. People don't want to be uncomfortable. So we forget that sometimes things that are meaningful and purposeful you know, like I know for myself, the first few times I tried like going on these mindfulness retreats and I'd sit there and I was like, I wanted to come out of my skin. It's very uncomfortable to like sit, just be there. And uh, over time, you can grow more comfortable in the stillness. You know, it's, it's a journey though. Um, 
You mentioned a couple of the episodes. One was Chris Ware, you just mentioned, and then you mentioned another one that you said, that one's really good for artists sort of looking at the trajectory of things. Do you remember who you said? Oh, you mean Simon Sinek? And what what stays with you from that that conversation with him? Um, Well, starting with why, which is one of the things that he's known for. And we talked, and this was a year ago, uh, we talked about at the time his uh, new book came out about leadership. And he talked about how important it was for people that are leading organizations to be able to be trusted by the people that are working for them. Mm -hmm. And and that was a a real eye-opening notion for me, how much trust is important in the workplace. Hmm. Neat. For people who are listening right now, and let's say, you know, they're listening to you and they're, they're inspired. What's, what's your advice? Like, what do you, what do you, where do you, where do you start? Well, I think you have to think about what it is you want to do in your life. What matters to you? What do you love? What has meaning? What has purpose? And If you're thinking about needing a certain thing to be able to start doing any of those things, then you're probably going to wait forever. Mm. Um, One of the notions that I've been talking about and thinking about a lot lately is the notion of confidence. And a lot of people say, well, I'll do that when I feel more confident or when I feel more qualified. And I think that confidence, and I learned this from Danny Shapiro, the great writer, uh, confidence is overrated. We talked about this uh, (laughs) after my podcast interview with her. And she felt that, you know, most most people that are overly confident or apparently confident are right. kind of obnoxious. Oh, yeah. And and, and I agreed. <laughs> and what she felt was more important was courage, courage to take the first step before oh, you're confident. So good. And then I started thinking a lot about, well, what does – how do you manifest confidence after that courage? You take – you have the first step. You take the first step. You walk into the abyss yep. and you don't fall. Right. And, or you do fall and you decide to do it again. How do, how do you manifest confidence yeah. through that courageous act? And what I discovered was confidence is really just the successful repetition of any endeavor. Mm. You do it enough times and you anticipate that – the next time you will be successful at it. We all have, for those of us that drive, we have car confidence. You know, we don't turn on the ignition and hope and pray that we're not going to get into an accident that day. We have car confidence. We expect that getting into the car and turning on the ignition and going off and doing our errands will be okay. Same thing with most of us that do business travel on airplanes. We have airplane confidence. We don't get on hoping and praying every single time that we'll make it out alive. You know, we just have a certain level of confidence. That the pilots know what they're doing and the odds are in our favor. Yeah. So I think that the successful repetition of any endeavor is what gives gives us a, a, a sense of confidence. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, your podcast has become so so popular, and and it's people love it. It's it's a mainstay for people in their week. And there's a lot of podcasters that also are listening to our show. You know, want to do a podcast. That's their that's their thing. I'm curious what you have to say to them, because uh, in and of itself, you know, as a podcaster, you are brilliant. What's your advice to someone who wants to start a podcast? What do you think makes a podcast successful? I would say do it. I mean, podcasting is a wonderful way to own a platform and to be able to speak your mind and offer information and inspiration to people. I love podcasting. I love being (laughs) on the radio. 
um, I think you have to do your homework, do your research, have a point of view, be able to talk to your guests or your to, to your topic in a mm-hmm. way that feels learned and inspiring and open hearted and knowledgeable. Yep. And and then do it consistently and and recognize that you might not get well known as a podcaster for a while. It might take a long time. It might not, but it might. And therefore you wanna be in it for the long haul. Yeah. And you've written six books, is that correct? That is correct. I actually <laughs> um contributed to a brand new book that's just out. Um one of the co-authors or co-editors uh, is a book about the great, great bra- groundbreaking uh, designer C.P. Pinellas, who was very, very well known in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, she's no longer alive now. Um, and it's about her life and her work. And it is also a cookbook because my co-writers slash editors uh, found a journal at a flea market Whoa. that contained uh, all of her drawings and paintings in a cookbook form. And so we were able to reprint that as well. Wow, that's really cool. And so it's called C.P. Pinellas. And the title of the book is uh, C.P. Pinellas, Leave Me Alone with the Recipes. And the co-editors are Sarah Rich and Wendy McNaughton and Maria Popova and myself. That's great. Okay, so I'm curious, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? (laughs) <laughs> the best piece of advice <laughs> I've ever been given was in a fortune cookie. No. And the what? advice Yeah, yeah. What was it? Avoid compulsively making things worse. Ooh. What does that mean yep. to you? Well, you know how when things sometimes get bad, you want to complain and moan yes. and groan and yes. get everybody else involved in and, and and you sort of stick a needle in your eye and it means react kind of a thing. And that was an REM quote. Um, but it, it, I think that as a species, when we're suffering, we often want other people to suffer with us. And I think that that could create a lot of toxicity and bad feelings. And so I think that it's great advice to avoid compulsively making things worse. When things are bad, just let it be what it is. It is. Yeah. And try to improve it as opposed to bringing everybody down with you. Oh, my gosh. I'm really going to keep that with me in my pocket this year. Cause, Isn't it great? Yeah. I have it taped to my computer. No, Avoid really. Avoid compulsively making things worse. Yeah, no, seriously. Best advice I've I was, ever gotten. It's so good. I was sitting there at Yom Kippur services and I was thinking, what's one thing I can – my brain was just – I was like, I just want to eat and I don't have any clarity of what I should be thinking about right now. And I thought, oh, well, one thing I could do this year is like to give my husband the benefit of the doubt instead of like mm. reacting and getting so upset <laughs> about things yep. that he says that bothers me. Um, and and I couldn't quite find like a sentence that would help me. But what you just said, I think that that gets in there. I think if I can hold on to that, I'm going to have a better year. So thank you for that sentence. Wow. Um, <laughs> you've said so many things today that were so just nourishing. So um, I just so appreciate that. And I'm so appreciative of your time. Okay. And the last question is, where can people find you? Uh, They can find me on iTunes at Design Matters with Debbie Millman. They can find me online at DebbieMillman.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Debbie Millman. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, you, Kathy. Well, that was awesome. 
So cool to have Debbie here. Okay, here are some of the takeaways. Number one, everyone seems fine on Facebook, but remember, most people experience lots of insecurity. The only ones who don't are probably people in their 80s. Number two, powerful art doesn't just resonate with the viewer, but challenges their mindset and allows them to grow. Number three, anything worthwhile takes a long time. The longer it takes, the longer it'll last. Number four, if you aren't being asked to create something that makes a difference, you have to self-generate that work. Number five, revel in the process of learning how to do the work and becoming good at it. Once you become good at it, then you can promote it. Number six, busy is a decision. We determine our priorities every day. If we don't do what we think we want to do, then we probably don't want it as much as we think. Number seven, government doesn't make culture. Culture makes government. We make the world we want. Number eight, if you think you need something in order to start doing what it is you want, you'll be waiting forever. Number nine, confidence is overrated. Courage is much more important. And number 10, avoid compulsively making things worse. When things are bad, don't bring everyone down with you. Just go ahead and try to improve it. All right, guys. Well, thank you for being here. It's an honor. It's a privilege. I know you have a million things you could be doing with your time and you're tuning into this show and it means the world to me. I hope that I am um, honoring that. I hope that you guys feel that we're providing value, that you feel how sincere I am about wanting to help you do, you know, similar to Debbie, start something, find the time. Maybe it's a side hustle at first, but it's something that gives you a sense of purpose and commit to it and stay consistent. And it's amazing what happens when you're doing something you love and you're getting better and better at it and you're continuing to put in the time um it's just amazing what might happen it doesn't matter if you're 30 40 50 63 there's so many things just waiting for you on the other side of having that courage um every week we're ending the shows um with a song that i wrote so we'll close out out the show today again with a song i wrote and i look forward to talking to you guys next week have a good one Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. 